Somebody asked me uh, this afternoon, uh, what am I going to be talking about? So I said, uh, I said, I'm going to be talking about birds. So I just, the Joshua won't be for the birds. That's all right. <coughs> we find in the Parsha, we all know the story of the flood. Sure. <coughs> And when the flood is almost over, so the Torah tells us that Noah sent first a raven to determine, we'll see why he sent the raven. It doesn't say why he sent the raven. But it says he sent the raven first, <coughs> and the raven just flew around the ark until the waters had dried up. He sent out the raven, and it went out flying and coming back until the, <coughs> until the water dried up, from the ground. That's all the Torah tells us about the raven. Then we have a little bit more about the dove, the Yonah. The Pasuk says, he sent out the dove, Me'ito, from him, to see whether the water had receded from the earth. And the Yonah could not find a resting place for the bottom of its feet. So the Yonah returned to the Teva, because there was still water all over the earth. And Noah sends forth his hand and takes the Yonah in, to the table. That's the first time <coughs> he sends out the dove. The second time it says he waited seven days, and then he continued to send out this dove the second time. And the owner comes back towards the evening with a olive <coughs> leaf in its mouth. And Noah knew that the waters had receded from the earth. And the third time, it says again, he waited another seven days, and then he sends forth the Yonah, and the Yonah never came back. That is what the Torah tells us about the sending of the birds. So first and foremost, we have a number of contrasts here. We have the raven, and we have the dove. The raven is cruel. The dove is merciful. The raven, Chazal tell us, is promiscuous. It mates with any bird it wants. And it's suspicious of its mate. It's called a posel, the muma posel. If you suspect somebody else of doing something, you accuse them. <coughs> it's probably because you harbor such feelings yourself. And therefore, since he was unfaithful, therefore he suspected his mate of being unfaithful as well. And not to introduce a racial uh, discussion, but the raven is black and the dove is white. So we see contrasts here between the birds that are sent out. <clears throat> the first question that we have to analyze in reference to the raven is, why did he send out the raven? By the dove, it says why he sent 
the dug out. But he sent them out to see whether the waters had receded. By the raven, it doesn't say. It just says, and he sent forth the raven, and the raven circled around and didn't come back until the waters had receded. So here you find a variety of commentaries saying, why did he send out the raven? The Medrash says, yes, just like by the dove, it was to see whether the waters receded, the same way he sent the raven. Again, it's not in the Pasuk, but it's part of the Torah Shabal Peh, the Midrash, which explains the Pasuk, and tells us that that was the purpose of sending it. But there are other uh, interpretations as well. The Malbim says <coughs> that in the ancient times, they could actually could predict the future by the flight patterns of the ravens. This, this art, we don't have this today, or the science, whatever it may be. But that ability to foretell the future was based on flight patterns of the raven. And this is the Malbim says this. And that's the reason why he sent forth the raven. He would have this ability to somehow know what the future would bring. But the raven didn't obey him. The raven didn't fly out. He just circled the ark and then just came back in. <clears throat> the Zephorna says he sent out the raven not to see whether the waters had receded, but as you can well imagine, there was a lot of moisture in the air. The humidity must have been tremendous, as you can imagine. So his purpose in sending out the raven was to see whether the air had dried out, whether it was breathable and so on. The Radak says that the raven, because it's a cruel bird, and also it eats human flesh, Mm. So therefore, his purpose in sending forth the raven was to see whether or not there were corpses, either floating or corpses that would have uh, become visible because the water had receded. And therefore, presumably the raven, although, <coughs> although Noah worked day and night to feed everybody in the ark, every animal got what they were supposed to, nevertheless, uh, the raven more than likely does not fed human flesh in the, in the ark and therefore it would naturally if there were corpses it would bring back that was his purpose in seeing whether the raven would bring back corpses and from that he could tell whether or not uh, the flood was over and so on that and the Radak says that? the Radak says this, yes mm-hmm. wow. yes. yes and there's another interesting interpretation from the Sharabas Rabin he says we're going to discuss this a little later. The law was that while they were in the ark, neither the human beings on the ark nor the animals on the ark were permitted to mate with each other. After all, the world was in danger of totally being destroyed, and therefore uh, no cohabitation was permitted. There were only three who disobeyed the uh, command. Again, not to introduce a racial component to our discussion, but the one human who did cohabit on the ark was Chom. And Chom was cursed with blackness, so that the, uh, those of our black uh, brethren, cousins, or enemies, as the case may be, uh, the blacks can trace back their uh, initial blackness as a Perhaps a punishment that Hashem bestowed upon Chom, Ham, is in English, but Chom, and his descendants. So he was the only human who disobeyed the rule. 
the law of matter cohabitation. And the only two animals, well, it was one animal and one bird. The dog was the only one who uh, disobeyed that rule. And the only bird that did cohabit on the ark was the raven. So according to the Sharbas Rabin, the reason why it just says that he sent away the raven was because it was a banishment. It was a punishment. You, you can't stay here. You can't stay here. Now, but he took it back in. Well, okay, that's true. But it already had its punishment. It had its banishment. It was sent out. It didn't come back until the, uh, the flood had dried up. Yes? If that was the case, wouldn't Noah have sent out both ravens, the male and the female? Okay. So uh, there's a discussion about this very same point in a somewhat of a roundabout way. But just to answer your question, the Mepharshim say that the... Uh, female raven was expecting a child, wow. was with child, was wow. with kid, yes. Because, because, well that's really an answer to a different question, and that is, if the purpose of taking male, one male and female of every species, so can, right, and seven yeah. pairs only of the kosher animals, right. so they could be sacrifices, but if the purpose was to take one, one male and one female, it was obviously so that when the flood would be over, all of these species would then, of course, uh, mate and bring forth their, their species and develop it. Now, if Noah is sending away the male raven, not knowing what his future is going to be, if he'll ever come back, obviously it would be going against Hashem's will in wanting to have a male and female raven on the boat, so are the ark, so that later they would propagate. So according to answer that question, so they say that actually the female raven was with child. Yes. Okay, huh. but, but this very same argument is actually found in the Medrash where there is a uh, discussion <coughs> that took place between the raven and Noah. Now, not to get into a lengthy discussion about this, but the whole idea that what the raven had intelligence and the raven could talk and that Noah could talk to the raven, the raven could talk <laughs> back and so on. This is discussed in the Mepharshim and generally the the answer that's either given is that yes, yes, it's not like today where uh, uh, you could not communicate with a bird. In Shlomo Melech it says knew the language of the birds and so on. But uh, besides that, very often when we find in the Gemara different stories about the, the, the sea spoke, it's not the sea, it's not the ocean that's speaking, but it's called the Sar Shalyam, which we believe that everybody, every human being has a Malach, has an angel, in heaven that is guiding its destiny. It's not independent of Hashem, but a Malach is a shliach, is a, is, is a messenger of Hashem to take care of every person. So that uh, sometimes if a person escapes a, uh, a very close uh, close call, a mishap almost took place. So you say, this Yiddish is an expression, the mal, his Malach was watching over him or her, as the case may be. So every person has a Malach. Okay, so it's not too much of a stretch to then extend that to that Entities in the, cre in, the cre in the creation have, have a malach too. Sure. And that's referred to in the Gemara as Sar, the prince. The Sar Shalyam is the prince of the sea. Okay. So if, the, if God tells, uh, tells the Yam Suf, I want you to split, we're going to make the miracle of the crossing of the Red Sea and so on. So the Gemara describes it as he spoke to the Yam. What does it mean? He spoke to the Sar Shalyam. He spoke to the one, the angel in charge of the Yam and said, now's your time to split. Okay. 
So uh, the same way here too, when it says that the raven discussed with this with Noah, uh, it may mean the, the, the raven, literally just what it says, or it may mean to say that the malach, that's in charge of the raven, who, who could communicate with Noah, he spoke, I guess, the same language that Noah did, and so he would understand him. So. Nevertheless, this idea of a dialogue between the raven and Noah is actually found in the Medrash. And it's actually based even on a Pusik, because the Pusik says that when the, when the raven flew, it says, Yotzov Vashov. It went out and then it came back. Shov can mean to come back. But the same way Shov can also mean to a retort, an answer, a teshuva, to come back. I ask you a question and you come back at me with an answer. That's called a teshuva. Okay. So what they want to say that when it says that the raven was Yotzov Vashov, it doesn't mean that he went back and forth, but rather it means he went out to show, and now he had a dialogue, he gave an answer to Noah. And what is the way the Medrash reads? The Medrash says that the raven said to Noah, you hate me, and God hates me. God hates me because I'm from the non-kosher species, and there you're only supposed to take two of us to save our species. And the kosher birds, you're, you're taking 14. Okay. Seven males, seven females. It's not fair. So you, it's like discrimination in a sense. So he, he said you, that's a sign that God, if God told you to only take two of us, he says it's a sign that God hates us. Yes? I thought it was seven of each, not seven males, seven females. No, seven, seven males, seven females. Otherwise it's an odd number. Mm. How are you going to mate? I thought they were Corbanos, some of them. They were Corbanos, for the purpose of Corbanos. Right. right, right. But I thought some of them were, for the like, five for the Corbanos when they arrived, and... No, uh, not No, seven and seven, seven plus seven. And the ring was 14, I believe so. I thought it was two and seven, not two and two and seven. What do you mean by two and seven? What do you mean? Either two, two of two the, the non-kosher. And seven of the kosher. Seven of the kosher. And, and how are they divided, male and female? Seven, seven pairs. I said seven pairs. That's what we're discussing. I said seven pair. I always our, thought it was. Uh, and the man who brought the pizza, who we have to listen to, he said, okay, no. I respect it. You say it's only seven. I, don't I thought it was always two for mating and then five for sacrifices. No. I'm not aware of that. I've obviously misread all these years. Okay, well, whatever. We, we can determine that. In any event, uh, my understanding is that it's seven pair. In any event, so that's what the Medrash says, that Noah says to, uh, that the raven says to Noah, you hate me, uh, God, God, God hates me. And he says, and you hate me also. He says, why do you hate me? He says, for two reasons. He says, first of all, by sending me out, <coughs> by picking me to send me out, when I'm only one of the two species of the non-kosher, but only two, by you sending me out, what you're doing is you're exposing me to heat and cold. The sar shel chama, the sar shel tzena, the the, the sar, this, this this forces, shall we say? I mean, it's God's forces, but it's the forces of nature, of cold and heat. They can get me, and and then my whole species will be gone. Yeah. That's what he said. Maybe he didn't know that Medrash that his wife was expecting. I decided. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. You didn't tell me. Whatever. <laughs> but again, you have different midrash, and they're not necessarily all going to be in the same uh, path. You're right. Seven bears. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. 
So now, um, so, he, so the raven says to Noah, you hate me too, for two reasons. First of all, by, by me and my mate only being two, and you, you're sending me out into who knows what, what the whole world is destroyed, who knows what's going to be there. I can, I can get cold, I can get, get fever, I can die, and therefore you've wiped out my species. So that's number one, you hate me. And number two, listen to this. The Medrash says that the raven said to uh, Noah, I know why you sent me out, because you have designs on my wife. <laughs> Medrash. Medrash, I don't make these things up. I couldn't make these things up. I never would have thought of that. <laughs> the Medrash says, you have designs on my wife. So this is the, the discussion. Excuse me, I can't hear you. <laughs> so, so this is how he explains the idea of the dialogue, shall we say, between the raven and uh, Noah. Okay. I saw Rabbi Saruskin says, again, why, why pick the raven and the dove? So he says, the raven, he had, has a little bit of a different uh, approach. He says, the raven is the extreme in the lack of marital harmony. Obviously, if he's promiscuous, he's always suspecting her, so clearly there's not going to be too much shalom bias, or shalom teva, as the case may be. <laughs> okay. <teva>. But, <laughs> but, on the other hand, Noah knew or that it's going to be easy it's going to be easy to get the raven to go out on a shlichus on it's going to be easy to get the raven to go out on this on this uh, to, to, to fulfill this uh, his job whatever it is why because he won't be able to say no how can I leave my wife at home how can I, no I can't leave my wife behind it'll be easy to get him to go because he's not uh, a homebody anyway. That's the way the Prophet Russell says this. Okay, but it was easier to break up the parents, so he said, okay, so he went. But again, the raven, for whatever reason, didn't go because he suspected that Noah was going to be with his wife. Or for whatever reason, he didn't go. So now... Now Noah is faced with a dilemma. Well, who do I send now? Obviously, the raven refused to go. Who do I send now? So, Rabbi Ruskin says, so he picks now just the opposite. The one who's known for fidelity in marriage, so to speak. The dove is known. The measure says that, I don't know if scientifically today it'll be born. I never checked it out to ask someone who might know. But he says that the mate uh, of the... Uh, the dove is so faithful to its mate that if after the mate dies, it will never mate with another dove again. It remains faithful to the memory, shall we say, of that one night. So, so the, uh, the dove is, is somewhat the symbolic of many things. It's, of course, symbolic of peace and so on. But the dove is also symbolic of uh, marital harmony for that same reason. And it's interesting. The Gemara says that um, if the Torah was not given we still could learn good midos from nature. Okay. And the example that's given of arayos, in other words, what's considered to be being faithful in marriage or unfaithful in marriage, we could learn 
by observing the dove. That's what the Gemara says. That's the example of it. There is, however, another way of interpreting that Gemara. Uh, the way I said it was the positive spin, and that's the way most Mepharshim say, that even in nature there are lessons to be learned, and even if the Torah wasn't given, we would learn from nature. Okay. But others, and it's not just one, it's several different Mepharshim interpret a little differently. They said, it's a good thing that the Torah was given. Because if the Torah was not given, we would learn lessons from nature, and there would be the wrong lessons. Okay. And in the case of the dove, so although, <clears throat> although as I said, in a positive sense, you can learn from the fact that they are uh, faithful to their mate, on the other hand, the Gemara says that, in the, I don't know if it's true of all birds, but it does say about the dove in particular, that they, they'll mate with their own siblings, with their brother and sister and so on. So clearly, if we did not have the Torah to tell us what is right and what's wrong, and we just have nature to observe, perhaps we would come away with the wrong impression. So it's, it's good to think that we have the Torah, so the Torah tells us what's right and wrong. Nevertheless, the dove is the symbol of marital harmony, and therefore, so at least when Noah now decided to send away the dove, so he did not feel, he, he felt that uh, at least the, the, the male dove is not going to suspect him of having you know, his eye on, on the female dove back at the ark. So therefore, that's how he was able to send them. This is, again, a point that uh, <coughs> Rabbi Sarasket makes. <coughs> I saw an interesting shot on the fact that the raven said to Noah, you want to get me killed. You want to get me killed? Because if you send me out there, maybe the Tsar, the one, <clears throat> the one who's in charge of heat or cold, he may get me and I'll die. That's why he quoted that before. So the question is asked, why did he say only the Tsar of, of heat and cold? There are many different deaths that one can get. So why did they only pick those two? So he says a very interesting shot. He says that the Gemara says, Everything is in the hands of heaven. Everything that happens to us is preordained. God has decided what's going to happen. Chutz. And there are two different Gemaras which give two different exceptions. They're both fairly well known. One is, the exception to this rule is Yerashamayim. Fear of heaven. Everything comes from heaven except for the fear of heaven. God does not make you God-fearing and the next person not God-fearing. That's your own choice. This is where the fear of free choice comes in. God gives you a Torah. He says there's, 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 there's life in front of you, there's death in front of you. Pick, pick life, pick the, choose life, pick the, the right, make the right decision. But God does not make one person to a tzaddik and another person to a rasha. You have only yourself to blame for that. You have other circumstances, maybe blame your parents, blame your teachers, blame your friends, blame your enemy, blame anyone you want. You can't blame Hashem for that. That's the one exception. A second exception, the Gemara says, except for colds and fever. Colds and fever, that, again, that's your own fault. The person, God forbid, has struggled with a different malady, okay? God so did, ordained it, or whatever. But if you catch cold, 
because you run out into the cold right after taking a hot shower without properly your body adjusting to it and so on, or you go out into the rain and you don't have a coat, you don't have any protection, whatever, and then later you catch the sniffles, you catch a cold, a fever, whatever it is, don't blame God. He didn't do it. You did it. And it's the Pasek. That there are colds and fever out there in the crooked road. The one who guards his soul will keep away from them. Don't say pray to God that they shouldn't affect you. No. You have to be watch yourself. So those are the two exceptions. So therefore, the Sefer says the following. He says, when God sent the raven out, God was assured. Noah sent the raven out. Noah was confident that he's sending him to do a mitzvah. You're going to do a mitzvah. No bad is going to happen. Hashem is going to protect this raven out there in, in the, whatever's gone out there outside the table, and he'll come back safely. He won't get hurt. Hashem will protect somebody who's going to do a, do a shlich, or to do some kind of a mission for a mitzvah. But the raven said back to him, it's funny to say like the raven is quoting the Gemara, but that's it comes out. It's funny, I, I grant you. But that's, if the raven didn't know the Gemara, but I guess his malach did, so the Malach of the, of the raven says back to Noah, hey, wait a minute. You're right that God protects people who are doing a mitzvah. But there are two exceptions. What are they? Calls of fever. So that's why the raven said, ah, oh, maybe calls of fever. Who knows what will happen out there? It could be calls of fever that I, can't, that I can't be protected from. I don't know. And that's why I didn't want to go. So the raven fulfilled the mitzvah of Shermer Nafshir Yerchak Behem, the one who guards himself, will keep away from any situation that can lead to colds and fever and so on. I thought it was an interesting interpretation. Rabbi, yes. Birds are known to um, get drafts. That's what leads them to their demise. Oh, is that so? Oh, wow. Okay. That's well, good to know. It makes sense because if they're out in the rain and on a place to go for shelter, all their feathers get soaking wet. Mm-hmm. And that, uh, yeah. special oils on them. Oh, you put a bird in the house, you don't put them near a window and stuff like that. Okay. Continuing. There's an interesting medrash on this Pusik. When the Pusik says, Noach sent the raven out. So the medrash says, this is the meaning of the Pusik. And it quotes the Pusik in Tehillim, which seems to have nothing to do with this. What's the passing in Tehillim? Shalach Hoshech Vayachshoch. There in Tehillim, there's one capital that talks about all the miracles, miracles that happened in Mitzrayim. It's a, it's a review of that. And it's not in the same order as we say, but they're all mentioned there, one way or another. And one is Hoshech, darkness, the number nine. And so the passing says there that Hashem sent forth darkness and it became dark. And that's just a description of Makas Choshech. Okay. What does this have to do with sending forth the raven? It's known as a medrash plea, a medrash that's a wonder, like, don't seem to see any connection. So I saw from the Sefer, Shari Simcha, he was related to the Hassam Sofa's family, I don't know exactly how. So he says a very interesting thing. Gemara asks, how come, if a, if a person is a farmer and he has goats and sheep, mm-hmm. how come the goats will always go first and then the sheep? 
The Gemara asks this question. So the Gemara says, <coughs> it goes back to the time of creation. What happened by creation? First by Yihirah, first it was darkness, mm-hmm. and then by Yihivokah, then it became light. So in the creation, darkness comes before light. Okay? So therefore, that's the reason why goats go before the sheep, because as the Gemara says, the majority of goats are black, the majority of sheep are white. I mean, we do say Baba black sheep, you know, we do say, and I guess the white goats too, we've seen a picture of goat is white. But that's what the Gemara says. You have to take it at what it says, that the majority of goats <coughs> are black, and the majority of sheep are, are white. So therefore, that's the reason why the black goats go in front of the white sheep, because dark goes before black. So the Shari Simcha says, ah, that's the connection. The Torah starts out by saying, by Yishlach Esau he sent out the, the raven. Mm-hmm. Why did he send the raven first? Why didn't he send out the owner right away? <laughs> the answer is because by Yishlach just like by creation. First you send the black, and only then do you send the white. Again, no racial mentalness. But that's, again, an interesting uh, shot about that. There's some interesting things about the raven. The Gemara says, there's a creature known as a zarzir. Now, there actually are two. There's a zarzir in the bird family, and there's a zarzir in the uh, dog family. Okay, a zarzir in the bird family, the English translates it as a starling type of bird. The zarzir, the animal, this is actually a pusik. A zarzir is a greyhound. It's a greyhound. And I have to give credit where credit is due. I didn't know anything about greyhounds. I didn't know anything about zarzir. There's a fellow up in Ben Salem. His name is Dick Meyer. That's his name, Richard Meyer. Okay. Richard Meyer has, is a photographer, but he has a very interesting hobby. Okay. He, it seems that the greyhounds, they race. Okay. Now, after a while, they get tired and old. What do you do with old greyhounds? What do you do? So, in, in a cruel society, so they, they put them to death. They say they can't put them to sleep. They, you know what I mean? they, they kill them and so on. So there's a group that's dedicated to saving these poor. They serve mankind. They, they, they provided entertainment. They yeah. provided whatever. And what do you have just because he can't run around anymore? So, so they take the greyhounds in and they feed them and they nurture them and they, they try to give them a, an itch, a pleasant old age, so to speak. Probably one could have a, a priority in mitzvahs. Maybe they're people who could maybe use that same kind of attention and not the old greyhound, but nevertheless, nevertheless, that's what he does. So uh, I asked him once, so he has, I said, so how many do you have? He says, uh, either, sometimes two, sometimes three. If one dies, so then we get another one, so two or three. So he practices what he preaches, and he, that's his job, and he's a volunteer, to try to get people to adopt these old, uh, beat-up uh, greyhound dogs. He told me, he says, and the greyhounds in the Bible. He's not Jewish, by the way. Greyhounds, he says, it's called a zarzir. And he told me this, right? I looked it up, and he's right. And he's right. The zarzir. 
So the, 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 the Pusik is talking about something that says about a greyhound, and that's how they translated a greyhound. I never knew this in the Pusik. So, but not so, but the Zaras here we're discussing here is not to be confused with the greyhound, but it's talking about the bird. So the Gemara says that there was a Shaila, you see, by, um, by animals, you can tell whether an animal is kosher or not. Right. Right, okay? If it uh, chews its cud or, and, and it has split hooves, so then it's kosher. Um, fish, you can tell if it has fins and scales and so on, it's kosher. But by birds, we don't have that. The Gemara says here yeah, that trait for birds, they do show certain, uh, certain characteristics, and sometimes when they rest on a on a, uh, on, let's say, on a wire or on a, on a, on a uh, rope. Will they put uh, two claws on each side or three in one? There's a way how they rest them. There are some ways to tell. But generally speaking, we only know about which birds are kosher or not from Misora. Misora means tradition. That means the birds that we eat today, uh, the, the chicken, the turkey, the duck, and so on, the main reason why we consider them to be kosher is is because our grandfathers and grandmothers told us wow. when they came from Europe that that was eaten over there. Okay. Just around the subject, I've got to tell you a story that happened happened to us. Okay. My mother-in-law, we were part of it. We were making Sheva Brachas for somebody. We just got married, and we're making Sheva Brachas. And uh, who do we invite, who agreed to come? Rabbi Shmuel Kamenetsky, Rosh Hashiva, Very nice. Nice. So he comes in, and it was a Sunday. It was Sunday, Shabbat Brachas. And uh, he sat down, and whatever was served, he ate, they ate everything, and fine. When he came to the main course, so my mother-in-law, my wife, whatever, had made, had made turkey. Turkey, very good. Thanksgiving's coming up. Turkey, who doesn't love turkey? Turkey. So he sees the turkey, and he says to my mother-in-law, maybe have a piece of leftover chicken from Shabbos? She says, yeah. He said, and then he explained. He says, my father does not eat, did not, I don't know if he was lying or not, did, did not or does not eat turkey. And that's because he doesn't eat turkey, I don't eat turkey. Why not? The whole world eats turkey, empire turkey, all the kosher, <laughs> all the super duper, everybody has turkey and so on. Lubavitch has turkey and Satmar has turkey. They love turkey. But, but not Kamenetsky. Not Kamenetsky. Why not? He says, because my father came from uh, uh, some place in Europe where they did not have that tradition. They did not have a Masora that turkey was kosher. So therefore he doesn't eat turkey. I think I found out once that Rav Sholem Kamenetsky has said, I think he does eat. Why? I don't know. It's wife's family. I'm not really sure why. His wife makes it. Without regardless. Why? I don't know. But my point being, so it's based on the Sora. It's based on tradition. If you have a tradition that this bird is kosher, you eat it. Of course, it has to be slaughtered and sold. I mean, mm -hmm. all the steps, but just whether the species is kosher or not, it's based on the Sora. So there was a question in the Gemara, what about this Zarzir? What about this starling? Is it kosher or not? So this rabbi said it's kosher. This rabbi said it's not kosher. Rabbi Eliezer said, I can tell you why it's not kosher. I'll tell you why. Look at its friends. Who does it hang out with all the time? It hangs out with the raven. The raven's no kosher. The raven is the, is the quintessential non-kosher bird. And it shows bad midos and, and so on. It's cruel. And all the, anything bad about something makes something trade, the raven has it. So therefore, if the zarzir is spending time with the raven, 
kosher sticks with kosher, non-kosher sticks with kosher. And it basically, I mean, it's an expression today, which is known as birds, birds of a feather flock together. together. Okay. But what's interesting is that this same expression is also found in the Gemara. Interesting. In the Talmud, yes. We hang out at Hanging out with the right birds. There's a uh, statement made by a sefer called Ben Sira. Ben Sira is, is quoted in the Talmud, but it's not really, uh, it's quoted from the Svarim Chitzonim. It's like not quite accepted but it's accepted to the extent that the Gemara will quote it. And so, <coughs> there's a statement of Ben Sir, which is really more appropriate for the Yonah, which Mitzvah Shemar Shabbos, I'm going to be discussing the other half, about the, more about the, the Yonah, the Dov. But nevertheless, it, it says the same thing. It says, let me just get the exact expression, because it's a nice one. Um, yeah. And Sira said, it's quoted in the Gemara in Baba Kama. Kol of lemino yikon, every bird will nest with its own species. And people will also associate with those that are similar to it. So you find that that's, that's literally birds of the feather, meaning if they have something together, they'll flock together. And that's, that's just the normal people want to be with their own. People don't want to be, you know, you don't want to be a stranger, you want to be alone. People, uh, if they're looking to move into a neighborhood, they want to, uh, they want, most people will own Badafka, look for a block that has other religious people on the block. They don't want to, you know, mix with other people, whatever. They influence, they, they feel it's like a, uh, uh, I heard somebody once refer to it as a ghetto mentality. You know, those people feel if, they, if they're in their own, so they'll be protected more than uh, if they're living out and everybody else is, is from a different uh, background than them. They're standing out. They somehow they'll be more protected this way. But nevertheless, the idea that people find uh, security in numbers and Muslim in Asmino, you have this in the Gemara, that people want to stay together with their own kind. <coughs> so that being the case, so it, it really explains the, uh, the idea that, as I said, that the Zarzir is deemed unkosher, and that is the halacha. The starling is not a kosher bird, and it's based on Rebbe Yelezer's statement that the fact that the uh, Zarzir spends all its time with the raven, with the O-Rave, that's a sign that it's just, uh, it's not, it can't be kosher. That's not the one that we want to be with. Okay. Um, <coughs> there's a very famous medrash, again, that says that Noah said to the raven when he was giving him Musa, when he was telling him off, he says, you serve no purpose in creation. You're not kosher. You have been midos. You can't be a carbon. You can't be a sacrifice. What purpose are you serving? Very harsh words. Well, that's what the Medrash says. That's what Noah said to the raven. Hashem heard the conversation. Hashem heard the conversation and says to Noah, leave him alone. Leave him alone. Don't criticize the raven. You know why? Because a day will come 
when we're going to need the raven. I sent the, I, you sent out the raven to see what's going on. For whatever reason, you sent them out. And he circled Ad Yavoshes Hamayim until the sea would dry up. Now, what does that mean? So the Medrash says it's a reference to hundreds, hundreds of years later. I didn't figure out exactly how long it is. Maybe a thousand years. I don't know. There's going to come a time when there's going to be a, a, a drought in the land. There's not going to be any water. And you know who's going to be responsible for there not being any water? Elio Hanovi. And Elio Hanovi is going to make that for three years there will be no rain. In the time of Achav and Izevel, Jezebel. Nice. And Achav puts a, a bounty on the life of Elio. And Elio has to run away. So he runs away to Nachal Chris. That's cool. And over there, he has no food. He has water from the brook, but he has no food. And what did Hashem do? He sent the food to him, meat and bread in the morning, and meat and bread in the afternoon, twice a day, eat flesh. But okay, he, I, guess we, I guess we can handle it. Through whom? Through the ravens. The ravens brought Eliyahu food and drink. The ravens is what kept Eliyahu alive. Why or how? Two different words. Two different questions. No, how? I mean, why Dafka the raven? Oh, okay. So that's exactly what it says. Hashem rewards every creature, every being. They have the, every dog has its day, every bird has its day, every person has its day. There's a time for everything, there's a place for everything. It could be a thousand years later. There's no early and late in God's uh, calendar, in God's clock. So God can wait. So the raven, Hashem was showing Noah, and in a sense showing all of us, that everybody, everything has its proper place. And you put down, you, you insulted the raven. Maybe justifiably, but you spoke to him harshly. Noah, I'm telling you, there's going to come a time when the, we're going to, the world is going to need the raven. And it's going to have to do with Yaboshes until the dry. Not until he circled until the dry land, until the, earth, the flood dried up. He circled the globe, meaning the raven was kept alive. The species, not that same raven. But the species of raven was kept alive all these years. Why? Because the time is going to come when there's going to be dryness in the land. There's not going to be any water for three years. And we're going to need the raven to sustain Eliyahu in order that he would make the miracle and bring the rains again, as he did. So it's interesting. The Balaturim says, you take a look at the word Yaboshes until the earth will dry up. Yaboshes, switch the letters around and what do you get? Tishbi. Tishbi. Eliyoha Tishbi. Yaboshes. The same four letters. Okay. And he goes on more. He says Yaboshes. He says you take the gematria, the numerical value or equivalent of Yaboshes and how much is it? You don't know. I can tell you it's 718. 718 is Yaboshes. Until the earth will dry. And now you figure out the gematria of Nachal Chris the brook of Chris where he was 
It's 718. And I figured it out. It's 718. So the word Yabosh is, is, is a prophecy about what's going to come years and years again. I'm just going to end with something that was said by, again, Rabbi Sarutskin. It's a beautiful thought. <clears throat> he says, based on this Medrash, the entire justification for the raven being allowed to stay alive all these years was only because of they'll have this mission to bring the food the bread and the meat to Eliyahu mm-hmm. so many years later okay. so Rabbi Sraskin says figure out how many ravens have there been since the time of the Noah until the time of Eliyahu so the term he uses is Rivei Revavos Revava is 10,000 Rivei Revavos would be 10,000 10,000s that's 100 million 1,000 okay. times 1,000 is a million 10 times 10 is 100 so 10,000 times 10,000 is 100 million but he puts it in the plural so that would be hundreds of millions I was interested to see the English translation they've translated Rabbi Sarotskin Sefer Asnayim La Torah and in the translation it just says millions of ravens it doesn't say hundreds of millions it says just millions be it as it may whether it's one million or a hundred million or half a billion it makes no difference Rabbi Sarotskin said just listen just listen God has kept millions of ravens alive all of these years for one purpose only to justify its existence for one purpose only so that a tzaddik, Elio Hanavi would have food and bread so now he gives Musa he gives Musa he says, so when people come to you so he writes there when people come to you and they're collecting for a yeshiva these are the yeshivas when people come to you, they're collecting for a yeshiva and he says I know the excuses people say I should give money to the yeshiva first of all they, all, they have so many expenses there's so much money that's being wasted secondly, I gotta support this Meshulach, the one who's coming and collecting he gets a percentage of the money, right? I, got, I gotta support his family and they, use the, and they use that as the excuse to not to give he says, no as long as some of the money that's what he says, as long as some of the money is going for the purpose of learning Torah I mean, it doesn't defend uh, wasting money or throwing out money or stealing money that's for sure, but if yes, the Meshulach is entitled to get his percentage, whatever it is, he has a family to feed yes, there are expenses there are, to run a yeshiva, you gotta have expenses and you have, you have to have the, whatever you need, it's not just all learning, I mean there are you know, you have to pay for food and pay for the paper goods and pay for uh, maintenance, whatever you're paying for, yes but if God is willing to keep millions millions of ravens alive for that one moment when they're going to bring the one raven or two is going to bring food to him so certainly you can't use that as an excuse as long as some of your money is going for that purpose uh, a good purpose it certainly justifies it and so on and it reminds me of something that I remember hearing this years and years ago I was a little boy I think in yeshiva whatever but I remember the Rebbe told us the following that some some big tzaddik said he says you, you go, in, go in lower Manhattan go in New York City I mean you can say it about Philadelphia Sumter City as well and you see these big skyscrapers okay big tall buildings and uh, 
they cast a shadow and you walk this like a canyon, you know, you can it, it can be very dark. You know, they block out the sun, it's really dark. You're in the middle of midday, you, it's dark and so on. He says, and you say to yourself, what was the justification? Why did God have call it maybe a b- billions of dollars? Certainly many millions of dollars when even when the skyscrapers were built in the nineteen twenties, whatever, but it still cost plenty of them too. We're talking about millions, maybe billions of dollars are being spent on these skyscrapers. For, of course, for businesses, for offices, for mankind, for the purpose of, of inhabiting the world, all very good purposes. But I remember he said, quoted from some tzaddik, I don't remember who. The tzaddik said, you know what justifies the expense of these billions of dollars for all these skyscrapers? Because if one day a righteous man is exhausted from the heat and whatever and he'll sit down in the shade in the shadow that one of these buildings is going to cast it was worth the entire investment just for that one moment of resting so it's similar to the same idea God is willing to have billions or half a billion or millions and millions of ravens from then till then for the one purpose of saving Yahweh Yahweh we'll stop here